Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Roomy Force Calf Cube. Maximize calf performance and health at grass by optimizing the function of the rumen. Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk program with John O'Connor. Later in our program, Mr. Dermot O'Reardon, Dairy Gold's business manager, Dairy Agribusiness, points out there are many benefits to whole crop silage. Also covered in the program, animal mistreatment, widely condemned by all of the farm organisations. And also covered the re-wetting vote, plus several other topics. The farm organisations have condemned footage of breaches at various stages in the transport of animals starting at the marts. ICMSA President Mr Pat McCormack said he and his members found the issues and footage addressed in the TV programme to be disturbing and disappointing. McBurner Farmer condemned the footage and warned the actions of a few individuals could threaten the reputation of all. ICSA President Mr Dermot Kelleher has expressed his outrage at the animal welfare transgressions exposed by RTE investigates. Mr Kelleher said... Any mistreatment of young calves is completely unacceptable and anyone found to be acting unlawfully must be held accountable. The IFA, for their part, have called for the department's investigation into the TV footage to be, quote, swift, thorough and robust. They point out sales at public auction and the transport of animals are governed by regulations and these must be adhered to. Board Bia said it strongly condemns the mistreatment of livestock, especially young calves. Board Bia said it's in the process of adding new rules to the SCAS which will ban farmers from sending calves under eight weeks to be slaughtered. From January 1st, 2024, it'll be illegal to slaughter healthy calves at less than eight weeks of age. Any farmer who breaches the rule will be in breach of the assurance scheme. Board Bia said that where there are herd health issues, they'll be dealt with on a case-by-case basis. The criteria for the ban was approved this week. Coming up next, the re-wetting vote. We're joined on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme by Ms. Amy Ford, Deputy News Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. First of all, Amy, welcome to the programme. In this week's journal, you cover an enormous amount of topics, but we might single out two crucial issues which you cover in great detail. First of all, the collapse in suckler herd needed to hit climate targets. What's the background to that? And uh, just a word or two from your very extensive front-page article in this week's Irish Farmers Journal. Yeah, thanks, John, for having me on. So essentially, this week, Chagas has launched its new marginal abatement cost curve. And this is basically a roadmap for the sector in order to cut its um, emissions to meet our 2030 target of a reduction of 25%. Um, So we've had two max up to now, and neither of them have resulted in us meeting that target or getting kind of anywhere near it. The change in this one is that there's measures and options in it that if there's a massive uptake and a massive ramp up in... Um, farmers taking up these new measures, uh, then we actually can meet our 25% reduction by 2030. Therefore, the sector would meet its um, second carbon budget, essentially. Um, so what's involved in that? So the modelling that they've done is, shows that business as usual does nothing changes and current trends continue, that the sucker herd will continue to decline by 29% by 2030 and the dairy herd will increase by 8%. Um, so it's based off those figures and the massive uptake in measures. So what measures are involved? It's basically a big uptake 
in a reduced finishing age, a reduced stage of finish for cattle. Um, and basically, the other big one is uh, a big take up in feed additives in the dairy herd and then in in all cattle uh, over the winter period. Now, Amy, also in the journal, rewetting dropped in latest nature restoration law twist, and rewetting must be voluntary and must be funded. A meeting in Bannister Galway heard uh, might have had a very heated a meeting with a very uh, harsh language used. But in general terms, would you just update our listeners briefly on where we stand now with this rewetting? Can we offer any bit of consolation to farmers that, in fact, the state land would shoulder the majority of rewetting burden and it must be voluntary and funded. Yeah, John, so um, this is one of the most polarised debates we've had in recent years um, in the sector. Um, so this week the European Parliament met, their MEPs met, to vote on the EU Nature Restoration Law uh, and they passed the law. However, there's a good few changes in it. Um, so they've dropped rewetting completely, uh, which is a big move. Um, and that was one of the main changes uh, compared to what we've previously been talking about. So from here on now, while the law is passed, this is not what it's going to look like upon impl- implementation. So there's a lot of negotiations to now take place um, between all sectors out in the EU, Council, Parliament, Commission and so on, to get a law that still suits everyone. So this is still subject to change on that front. Um, so that's where we are in the rewet one. There's, there's a vote is done, it's, it's going to be a law, but now the scrubbing, the legal scrubbing really takes place and the hardware kind of begins into what it'll finally look like by the time it gets around to farmers. And full details on both of those stories in this week's issue, 15th of July, 2023, Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you very much indeed, Miss Amy Ford, Deputy News Editor for the Journal. Thank you, Amy. Thanks, John. You're very welcome. ICSA Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association National Sheep Chair Mr Sean McNamara said the decision to allow an additional 38,000 tonnes of sheep meat into the European Union from New Zealand is, he alleged, yet another blow to sheep farmers at a time when prices are falling rapidly. Mr McNamara said, quote, this agreement can only be described as kicking sheep farmers when they're down. He said our sheep farmers need better prices for their produce and greater financial supports, not agreements which will make an already bad situation even worse. Mr McNamara was speaking following the conclusion of a free trade agreement between the European Union and New Zealand. Under the terms of this agreement, an additional 38,000 tonnes of duty-free sheep meat will be permitted to flow into the European Union annually on top of the current 114,000 tonnes permitted. Mr McNamara said this is the last thing Irish sheep farmers need. He claimed it made no sense to allow this additional product to come in when we know the negative impact it will have on local suppliers. Mr McNamara said it was a disgrace that instead of trying to help Irish sheep farmers, decision-makers within the European Union had decided not only to ignore the difficulties facing the sector, but to compound those difficulties. Part of a statement there from the ICSA, Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, National Sheep Chair, Mr Sean McNamara. The chairperson of the ICMSA's Livestock Committee, Mr Des Morrison, has expressed his concerns regarding what he says is the deeply suspicious trajectory of Irish beef prices over the last eight weeks. Mr Morrison said that the Irish beef price had fallen steadily since 13th of May, while the almost exactly similar market in the UK had seen their 
prices climbed steadily over the same period, according to Board B figures. Mr Morrison said it was beyond any kind of rational explanation to see a situation where, as of the week ending 18th of June, the average price for Irish steers was €5.09 a kg, whilst the average price for the same animal in the UK was 59 cents more at €5.68 a kg, excluding VAT. The ICMSA livestock chairman said that, quote, for the umpteenth time, farmers are forced to ask the same question, why is there such a gap in the price for the same animal in similar marts? Part of a long statement there from the chairperson of the ICMSA's livestock committee, Mr Des Morrison. He points out, Irish and beef prices pass each other in, quote, deeply suspicious trajectory, and the Irish on the way down, the UK on the way up. Joining us on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme, Mr. Dermot O'Reardon, Business Manager, Dairy Agribusiness, Dairy Gold, our sponsor. Uh, first of all, Dermot, welcome to the programme. Now, in terms of whole crop silage and arable silage, for our listeners, to remind our listeners who might perhaps even know, what is the difference between whole crop and arable silage? Okay, thanks, John. It's great to be on the show again. Um, I suppose, look, essentially whole crop silage is a full crop of either barley, wheat or oats, whereas arable silage is normally a mixture of one of the cereal crops along with grass underneath. Sometimes people add peas or beans into these mixes as well, but essentially that's the difference. It's, it's a combination crop and arable silage, whereas whole crop is a single crop all on its own. Now, what time frame, Dermot, is left for customers to source and harvest these crops? The time frame, I suppose, is probably narrowing pretty quickly. You know, John, I suppose, um, you, you really want to get these crops harvested before they come to mature. Uh, so what I mean by mature is where the moisture content of the grain drops too low and you need to probably process the grain to try and crack it, you know, to try and make suitable animal feed. So, I suppose, in, in, in real terms, I suppose, you're talking about maybe a month to three weeks prior to when you'd be harvesting it for um, for a proper field of grain. So, in, in the next week or two is probably the ideal opportunity for customers to be going out and sourcing uh, predominantly spring barley as a whole crop in the field or maybe even winter wheat if they're in, in, in the locality of it. So certainly time to move, if at all possible, conditions being good for the next uh, week or so. What would the best way be of harvesting these types of crops, Stuart? When you're talking about whole crops in particular, I suppose, you, essentially the best way of harvesting is with a forage harvester with a specific header on the front of the crop. So this allows the harvester to to go through the field in one pass and cut it and unload it into a trailer all in the one go and it makes it very efficient and, and you don't have any second handling and you don't have any losses. I suppose in, in, in terms of arable silage, there is no issue with customers wanting to cut it with a mower, I suppose, and, and pick it up with a harvester afterwards. But as with all of these crops, the less handling that you do with them in terms of rake or, or other implements like that, the better because the more handling you do, the more likely you are to have losses in terms of grain that's going to be, you know, going to the ground and won't be brought into your, your finished crop. And I thought with whole crop, you know, it, it's a bit easier to get higher dry matter material 
um, particularly from a spending crop of barley, uh, because there is the opportunity for some of the forage harvesters to actually process the grain uh, when it's going through. Uh, that's probably not the same opportunity with, with arable silage because you have a mixture of grass and you have a mixture of, of grain and straw. But there's quite a lot of, of material running through and it wouldn't allow for something like a corn cracker to be used in the forage harvesting. So again, I suppose in terms of the timing, the, the essential piece for all of these is to get them at the cheesy stage. So when you press the grain between your fingers, that you're getting little or no juice and you're getting a kind of a soft cheddar cheese type material within the grain. And I suppose, look, it, 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 it's often been said that you're, you're better off to be a week early than a day late when you're harvesting these crops because essentially you will still keep all the nutrients within the plant if you're early. But if you're, if you're a bit late and you can't process the grain, you're going to suffer loss. From a customer perspective, what advantages does whole crop and arable silage have from a customer's perspective? From a livestock person's perspective, whole crop and arable silage, they're a very high quality source of energy and fiber. Um, so look, milk production, uh, you know, animal performance in terms of live weight gain can be every bit as good and in some cases better than other forages like maize or, or even high quality grass silage. Um, they're also a great way for customers who might be worried about forage reserves. So, you know, we've had quite a, a difficult winter and we've had drought scenarios in certain areas of, of the territory. So some people have reduced their forage reserves quite dramatically. So if you can source a product like this, it, it's an excellent quality material, you know, that you can feed to all types of stock. And it should be, you know, quite uh, quite good value in terms of what you're getting in, in your, your value for money. I suppose typically we would expect a good crop of spring barley to be cut from all crop. You know, it's going to deliver somewhere in the region of maybe 9, 10, 11 tonnes of fresh weight material per acre. So at a, at a dry matter of, of somewhere in the region of 35 to 40%, you're getting somewhere in the order of three, three and a half, four tonnes of dry matter of excellent quality material per acre. You know, uh, I suppose the other benefit that's there from a, from a farmer and the customer's perspective, it, it, it's an excellent way for farmers to do a reseeding program. Um, so if you incorporate a whole crop or an animal silage um, uh, field in, into your platform, you know, it, 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 gives, it gives customers ample opportunities after cutting a crop or whole crop to get grass seed in in early August and they should be well capable for grazing before the close for winter. And then if, if people have arable silage on their farm, they'll obviously be cutting this product in the next week or two and they'll have, you know, an abundance of fresh reseeded grass available in probably three weeks' time after cutting the crop. It's certainly a route that a lot of customers have benefited from over the years in terms of incorporating in the part of a receded crop. That certainly sounds uh, very promising. Now, on top of those very positive uh, qualities and properties, etc., is there anything customers can actually do? Can Dairy Gold customers or our listeners, can they treat the crop with anything to even improve it? Yeah, definitely, I suppose, the whole crop silage in a pure form is a forage that I think would benefit from the application of an additive, uh, and that's done at the point of cutting. So I suppose it, it won't do anything to improve the quality of the material, but I suppose the most important thing it will do is it will help to pre- prevent spoilage and losses from the plant. So look, an additive like Eco Cool, you know, it, it, it's a liquid additive that's sprayed on with the harvesters. It's going to cost somewhere around four euros per ton, 
Um, but it could prevent losses of anything up to north of 10 or 15 percent in in the camp at feed out and during the preservation process. And um, the other practical thing that customers can do is, I suppose, if if they can have a field of, of grass that's available to, to maybe layer on top of the pit, and um, when they're when they're camping and siding it, that certainly helps prevent birds from you know going after grain and, and damaging your, your plastic. Um, and also from a feed oil point of view, I suppose, it would also be very beneficial to keep keep the, the width of your pit face as narrow as possible. And um, from a, a practical point of view, when you're feeding it out during the winter or next spring even, you know, the, the quicker you can get across your pit face, the less likely you are to have spoilage and, and to have material going off, uh, particularly if you, if you haven't put on an additive. Now, how do customers or growers indeed uh, put an actual value on these crops we've been discussing, whole crop or arable silage crops? Yes, yeah, so I suppose there's, there's two people probably involved in, in, in this process, John, in terms of valuing it. So you, you have your, your tillage grower who probably has uh, a crop of, of spring barley or winter wheat or something. Um, and I suppose look, they can value it in terms of what it's cost in at that point to grow it. So between their their, I suppose, implements and, and in terms of their their setting costs, their growing costs, their fertilising, and all the rest, and and they can they can maybe put a value on all of that, and and what is you know what value they want to add on top of that in in terms of selling it. But I suppose more commonly, what what would tend to happen is is uh, stocks and tillage growers would agree to base the price on the final price of grain, and um, so an assessment of the crop would be done at the point of uh, cutting, and. Uh, both parties have come to an agreement that, yeah, look, there's possibly a, a three-ton crop of spring barley in the field, and you would put a value on the crop of grain in terms of the price that, that's relative to the, the final price uh, set by dairy gold, and, and then a value on the straw that's there as well. So generally, it's, it's, it's an agreement based on, on, on you know, two parties that, that come to a common ground in the field in terms of what the value is. Are there any other options for customers looking to source and conserve feed from native cereals? And we know our sponsor, Dairy Gold, has always been to the fore in buying as much native grain as possible. Yeah, of course. Yeah, look, uh, I suppose, look, customers who are, who are anxious to buy native grain from the combine, there are a number of ways of preserving it and, and, and there's a number of options. I suppose treating grain with ammonia-based product. Uh, we have a product in-house ourselves called Curva, so that allows customers to safely store large volumes of, of product. So, you know, they, they, they bring in a contractor who would be able to kind of crimp the grain and add the additive to it. And it, it's one bag per ton of, of fresh weight um, grain. And they'll clamp it, they'll put a, a layer of plastic over it, they'll, they'll leave it sit there for a couple of weeks and when they remove the plastic, that product is, is fully insoiled. You know, it, it, it's got benefits in terms of there's additional protein. It's more alkaline in its nature, so it, it's safer to feed from a customer's perspective. And, and you've got excellent quality feed value in terms of your barley or your wheat. And I suppose the other way that people can go about it is, is treating it with a product like propionic acid. I suppose popcorn would be one of its, its more widely used names. Again, you know, what you're doing is you're adding a liquid and when, when you're when you're putting it through a type of an auger system, you're adding so many litres per tonne of grain dependent on the moisture content of the grain. And that is probably the, the key point here, John, that you need to have a very good 
you know, estimate in terms of your, your, your moisture content because the, the dose rate will, will go up according to your moisture and being slightly higher. So uh, I would urge customers to certainly, you know, take it to your local Weybridge where we'd have moisture meters and we'd be able to test them for the, for, for the moisture. But, you know, if you're going to be erring on the side of caution, I would definitely advise customers to add extra rather than to be a, a bit scarce in it because you, you will have an excellent quality product that will be well um, suitable for storing and, and will field excellently when you, when you want to mill it uh, later on in, in the winter. And I suppose, as you mentioned, John, look, we're, we're a huge buyer of native grains ourselves. We're, we're very strong supporters of our, our native tillage growers. And all of our feeds are, you know, there's, there's native grain in all our feeds. It's the only grain, it's the only source of grain that we, we get. So, look, anyone who wants to maybe forego the cost of having grain paid for up front, you know, we have the opportunity for people to buy a compound feed from us at any stage of the year. Well, certainly plenty of very valuable and helpful information there and recommendations and tips. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Dermot O'Riordan, Business Manager, Dairy Agribusiness, Dairy Gold, our sponsor. Thank you, Dermot, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thanks, sir. You're very welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme, Mr. Mark Tracy, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagask Advisory Services, Agricultural College, Clonacilty in County Cork in the Mess of the County. First of all, Mark, welcome to the programme. Now, you were saying before we began broadcasting that grass quality seems to be a big issue at the moment. Now, and you'd like to discuss a number of issues in this area vis-à-vis grass quality. So, grass quality, Mark... So I suppose, John, look, since the rain has arrived now, um, we have seen a big improvement in grass supply. Um, obviously, there is still quite a variation between regions. Some of the, the very coastal areas didn't receive much rain when the weather first broke, and it's really only the rainfall at the end of last week that has um, had a, a major impact on them. Um, but as grass has got going, um, certainly grass quality issues are starting to appear, um, they're there for a couple of reasons. Firstly, farmers were holding on to grass that maybe they shouldn't really have in, in a normal year just because supply was so tight. Um, and in other, other instances, it's just the grass is starting to get, get ahead of them. Um, so I suppose it's very important to walk the farm um, now and assess what's on the farm, uh, both quality and quantity. Um, if possible, we'd try and get silage out of the diet. Majority herds, I think, have it out at this stage. But also look at can we reduce the concentrate um, feed where possible. But really, it's the biggest issue is um, addressing those quality issues. Now, where grass quality is an issue, you know, where the grass quality is posing a problem, what uh, suggested actions might be taken by your clients or our listeners? So it's very important that um, farmers act immediately. Uh, we only have really a month before we're going to start thinking about building grass covers for the autumn. So at that point, we don't really want to be taking out surpluses and that kind of thing. So I suppose really a farmer has about a rotation and a half um, or, or a month to, to fix these issues. Just bear in mind, if the percentage leaf in a sward drops by about 5%, that will reduce the digestibility by about a unit, and a 4% uh, reduction in digestibility will drop milk yield uh, in terms of milk solids by about 5%. So like, while it, it might seem seem a small issue, it can have a significant um, effect on, on the bulk tank. In terms of actually addressing it, uh, firstly, walk the farm. 
figure out how much grass is on the farm uh, because that will determine how we're going to tackle it. If there's a large surplus on the farm, the ideal thing to do is take out the, the poorest quality paddocks as bales. Uh, but some farmers are going to find that they don't actually have a huge surplus and that they may need to graze some of these poorer quality paddocks. In that case, I think there's going to be, have to be some level of topping or pre-mowing um, done on these farms. Um, it's one bit of advice I give there is try not to cut everything in the one round. So if possible, top every second paddock or pre-mow every second paddock, depending on what your, your method is going to be, and try and correct the other paddocks um, in the next next rotation uh, because if you do go hitting everything with a blade now you are going to curtail growth rates um, also very important to make sure fertilizer is up to date um, adequate nitrogen level in the sward is very important to, to keep quality so uh, make sure your fertilizer is up to up to date and then look, you need to reassess regularly um, there is potential for some quite large growth rates on farms now there is plenty temperature decent temperature in the soil we have moisture and hopefully this fertilizer out so the situation could change quite quickly now many reseeds are struggling due to the prolonged dry spell after sowing now how should these be managed now in terms of overcoming possible stress periods so the dry period was very very tough on reseeds um Obviously, again, we're going to have the regional variations, but also a big um, big factor here is when were they actually sown. So some of the, the earlier sown reseeds have probably actually been grazed already. Um, it's probably some of the more later ones that are, are struggling more. So really, the big thing here is, is the, the weed spray. We need to get that out early, particularly if we're focusing on, on um, clover establishment within that sward. So... We need to, to walk it and assess when the, the grass has uh, become strong enough to spray, when the clover plant is strong enough to spray, but also to assess what weeds are present and see um, what chemistry we're going to use. One of the, the big issues I see with um, farmers delaying grazing paddocks is they're delaying them because they haven't got them sprayed yet. Um, like Once you spray them, you have, depending on product, you have to leave probably something around 10 days uh, depending on what, what's on the label of the specific product you use. Um, so you need to be spraying them well ahead of uh, being ready to graze. Really, to get them to tiller, it's important to graze them at light covers. And when I say light, I would say, ideally, I'd start grazing them at covers of less than 1,000 kilos per hectare. Um, the one big important thing here is that you do a pull test. So just down your hands and knees and grab a fist of grass various places around the field and see do the roots stay in the ground? If if you're getting the roots when you pull, cows are going to do a lot of harm in that paddock and you're going to just have to let it get that little bit stronger. Um, then I suppose for the second grazing, again, I would like to see that targeted as a, a cover of somewhere around 1,000 just to get light down to the base of the sward, um, help the grass plant to tiller, but also it's very, very important if you're serious about um, clover establishment. Some very important information there. Now, talking to Mr. Mark Tracy from Chagask Agricultural College, Clonakilty. Mr. Mark Tracy, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagask Advisory Services, Clonakilty. Now, 
We've been hearing a lot um, recently, especially around the time when fertiliser became very expensive, people were looking for substitutes, and we know about the nitrogen-fixing qualities of uh, clover. There was, in fact, I understand, a large emphasis on using white clover at the recent Moorpark Open Day 2023. Why is white clover mark being so strongly promoted for grazing swords? Well, there's a number of reasons, John, why it's being uh, promoted. You you touched on uh, the issue of reduced uh, fertilizer usage. Um, like we know, white clover can potentially allow us to reduce nitrogen rates on swords by up around 100 kilos of nitrogen per hectare. So that has two knock-on effects. Obviously, for the farmer, there's a significant cost saving there, but also there's a large amount of greenhouse gas emissions associated with the manufacture of that nitrogen fertilizer. So by reducing the amount of nitrogen fertilizer having to be uh, brought into the farm as artificial fertilizer, we can reduce the greenhouse gas emissions from the farm. I suppose the other big thing is cows actually perform better on these white clover swords. And depending on which studies you look at, generally they'll show um, an improvement in cow performance of somewhere between 25 and 35 kilos of milk solids per cow um, per year, which is a significant jump in performance. And of course, all of this helps uh, reducing emissions one way or another, but primarily you know, coinciding with the surge in the cost of fertiliser some months ago. Of course, we looked again to the studies already done in great detail by Chagask over the years into the qualities of the clovers. Now, where is the extra cow performance coming from at the moment? So essentially, the extra cow performance is coming due to higher volumes of milk um, being produced. So if you look at the trial results there, the fat and protein percentages tend to be similar between clover and non-clover swords where the increase in um, output is actually from increased volume. That's being driven, I suppose, primarily from the fact that uh, the white clover swords are a higher quality sword. They have higher digestibility. And because of that, cows will actually eat more of it. But as well as that, each mouthful is actually better quality. So it's a a double win. Um, And I suppose really where we see the big benefits of that... um, white clover in the sward is from now till the end of the year. It's a mid-season um, thing when grass quality becomes a little bit tricky to to manage. The white clover in the sward just helps maintain quality that little bit later. But also, it's around now that um, the white clover is really starting to fix um, significant amounts of nitrogen. So that's when we're going to get the real benefits in terms of reducing nitrogen as well. Well, certainly an awful lot of information there. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Mark Tracy, B&T Dairy Advisor, Chagask Advisory Services, Agricultural College, Narara, Clonakilty in Cardigork. Thank you very much indeed, Mark. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. Joining us on the farm programme, Mr. Dermot Kelleher, the ICSA Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association National President, based in West Cork in the west of the county. First of all, Dermot, as regards developments with the peatlands, the re-wetting of peatlands and the nature restoration law and the nature restoration vote. Those are topics that have worried a lot of farmers. Now, you are fairly positive regarding developments in recent days, and indeed, I believe you were over there in Brussels. Yes, John, we were in Brussels for the first, the first time vote in the Envy Committee. Uh, the fish and the agriculture had its, had its put output 
In the end, because it, it was divided 44-44, which was, we thought it might be rejected. Now, they came back again for amendments and different things. Well, I maintained all the time, you know, there were people giving out that it should be rejected. We were better off to get a watered-down version of it, because at least it won't come back. If you kept rejecting your hand to keep coming back, and someday it may get through someday, you don't know. To, and as it was, it was shocking, John. Sometimes, even though it's uh, bitter, even though it's a bitter pill, sometimes in the long run, a reasonable, sensible compromise is the best uh, outcome. They took out Article 9, and they took out Article 660. You know, Article 9 means that they won't be rewetting agricultural land. That's active use agricultural land. And Article 16 was a very dangerous one, which a lot of people weren't looking at. Article 16 stated that any NGO or any two or three environmentalists, no matter what kind of a person who are, they can take a court injunction against a bunch of farmers or against farmers living along the river or whatever kind of farming practice they're doing. What it was stating was that money could not stop the litigation. Well, that meant that they could, uh, they could take out an injunction against a bunch of farmers, and the taxpayer would have to pay for their litigation as well. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Which was shocking. And that happened in Holland, where a bunch of NGOs took the Dutch government to court and got them to take so many farmers and put them off the land. What was also in this... Nature restoration law, as it was coming in, there was a lot more than rewetting involved. What they were saying is that if you had to give up your land, you couldn't ever, ever again farm within the bones of the U. That is awful. But, like, what they have done now is they have taken out agricultural land out of the rewetting and they have made it easier, well, it's an easier pill to swallow. Because, John, the problem was. Their figures were based on, on wrong figures from day one, and Chagas are proving, and they're working on it, that the carbon, the carbon that we're talking about, the carbon leakage from my weekends, are completely off the wall. Because they, were, they weren't comparing like with the like. They, um, they drained a hectare of peatland in the middle of Europe, which is a very dry summer. Was um, drained textbook every eight meters to the ground, falls correct, everything done to the to, to the last, and they compared that with peatlands and places like the west of Ireland or the Midlands that have not drained as good, and the water level that has low. Because I mean, anyone knows this country, a lot of the bog land in this country. I mean, two or three wet weeks and you got your 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 knees like. So they weren't comparing like like, but. Thomas maintained that it's they were um, vastly, vastly exaggerating the the carbon coming out of the Irish peatlands, and I'm firmly convinced that there's no farmer should be no farmer should be stopped from farming, especially based on figures that are wrong, John. And Dermot, of course, it would appear now the situation is genuinely under control insofar as the vast majority, if not all, of re-wetting will take place on state-owned lands. The point, can you understand how we should try and look after nature? Because if we have good, clean water sources, then, of course, there'll be good, clean, healthy drinking water for people. So 
provided it's done properly, provided it doesn't mean that uh, farmers are being wiped out, provided it's done properly, we can accommodate the best of the nature restoration and rewriting. But, like, John, there's no one, there's no one trying to say that nature shouldn't be looked after or that the climate change shouldn't be looked after. But what I maintain is that farmers shouldn't have to carry the can for anybody else. We'll all do our bit. But it should all be done in based on science, based on fact, not based on someone's ego or somebody anti-farming ideas or head. Like, there's, there's even, there's even said like that agriculture in Ireland got away with, with murder. We're supposed to do 5.75 megatons of a reduction in our carbon emissions, okay? ESP, energy and transport, are doing around seven, which is not a whole point more. But the difference is that will be paid for in energy and transport by the whole population, which is somewhere coming up between four and five million. And they think that 120,000 farmers can pay for 5.5 megatons without no help from anybody. They came along then and they said that between no money and no money, there's 125 billion to be spent for to help Ireland reach its targets. Now, if farmers and farming is that big a part of the problem, then that culture needs money to help us to reach our targets. We can't have it more with. What happened in this nature restoration in New Europe? They brought out all these rules, and they bring on more of them, but then they were about to fund together for to, to, pay, to pay for it. And the cap can't pay for what it's paying for already. Now, Dermot, very important, uh, following your visit to Brussels, of course, you're not saying all of this is a done deal, signed, sealed, and delivered. What happens now with the nature restoration law? I'm looking at your well, press uh, release. It was, it was uh, was rejected in the Fish Committee and the Agri Committee and in the Envy Committee, which is the leading committee. They got 44, 44. They couldn't pass it, not reject it. So there was a... Yesterday I went before the whole European Parliament, the whole lot. And the EPP wanted it rejected out of hand. And... There were shot a few votes, and all our TDs, all most of the TDs in this country voted um, to, to form the thing with the amendments. Now, the amendments made it very easy. It stops a lot during waiting up privately on the land, and it takes out Article 16, and it makes the things much easier. But now we must go back to the, 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 the trial which is... Um, Parliament, Commission, and um, Council of Ministers, and we hope that it will be accepted as it is, or that there may be more amendments, but it could go down the way as well. There's no guarantee yet. But, uh, and another thing, John, when the thing was being voted for first, first day, in all that shocking carry on, which was going to do a lot of harm to this country, there was MEPs from this country voted for it. In this small agricultural country, it's a disgrace that we had MEPs voting to close down Master Ireland before there was already a amendment. Fortunately, the ICSA, your own particular farmer organisation, you were very careful to keep your eye on the ball and you're still watching things like a hawk. But when you think about it, that we have 
we have some three or fourteen years here in this country who who one of you they 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 were they voted against us, but like that's okay. That's that, that's politics. That's everyone entitled to their opinion. Dermot, we'll turn to something now a bit darker, looking at the headline in this week's Irish Farmers Journal. Collapse in circular herd needed to hit climate targets. That must be very worrying for you with your long association with uh, circulars. Well, I think the, the first thing I see is that they're talking about 28% plus of circulars and only 8% for, for, for dairy. And to me, that doesn't make that to me. That is not. It doesn't look to be fair. But like, suckers are reducing slowly. The other guys are getting out. It's not a very paying proposition. If you're not, if you're not doing it very, 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 very well, it's not a paying. It's not paying that that good. So a lot of other people, the older, the the age profile of soccer farmers is very, very old. So you will have a natural reduction. I don't think you'll get to twenty-eight percent. Uh, we're taught that it won't be compulsory. But, like, the average soccer herd is less than 20. The average daily herd is way over 100. So, I mean, 28% of our herd would probably mean less than 8% of the, the daily cows I like. But um, the beef soccer herd in this country is also important. And there are a lot of biodiversity. If you take the sucking cows off of the bad land where most of them are, and the sheep, you'll turn the whole place into scrub, and when there's scrub, there's no biodiversity. It will be a case that in 10 years' time, they'll be looking for sucking cows again, and I don't know what, I mean, do they really know, look at the big picture, or do they, do they look forward? Different times, different solutions, different problems. You mentioned sheep in passing, and of course, your national sheep chair, Mr. Sean McNamara, he has expressed... Um, deep concern regarding the implementation of the European Union-New Zealand Free Trade Agreement as being another blow for sheep farmers, talking about an extra 38,000 tonnes of sheep meat coming into the European Union from New Zealand. I think it's, well, it's a disgrace that bringing all these extra sheep meat from New Zealand and bringing um, massive amount of beef from the Mexican countries from Brazil and places that I mean Brazil are cutting down rainforests to make more land for more sucking cows. Brazil maintain they're increasing they're going to increase their hand. They're going to increase their hand by something like thirty four million. We have less than one we have only three quarters of a million here and the Illinois is jumping up and down that they shouldn't be that we should have less cocos. I mean he should have look 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 around the world because we're all living in the one world what you do in this country, you cut down the hookahs in this country, it'll, that that hookahs will be replaced in the in the rainforest in, in Brazil and places. And like, there was realize that food security in this world is, is becoming more important. And Ireland can produce the most efficient beef and dairy. So why would you start up producing beef and, and dairy? And why would you cut down the, the herd? in this country, to produce less beef and less dairy so efficiently, unless someone that's less efficient be producing it. I mean, this idea that we have a green party that want to be global leader in, in climate change. If Ireland disappeared tomorrow morning, we wouldn't make one goddamn difference in, in the climate change of the world. Of the world. No, we must all do our bit in, in, in fairness. 
But we can't be global leaders in a country the size of Ireland. When you think that India are going to open 34 more coal burning stations, at the moment there's something like 23% of the world in emissions in Ireland is 0.0001. So like, there is something radically wrong when, the, when your people try to crucify small farmers in this, this small little country for climate, for climate change and the rest of the world are going, are going the other way. Dermot, you've had a lot of work to do and thank you very much for your valuable time. Mr Dermot Kelleher, ICSA National President, based in Mesquark and Mesla County. Thank you, Dermot, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thanks very much, John. Thanks very much. And that's the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme for now. I'm John O'Connor. Farm Talk, Saturday mornings, 7am to 8am, and Wednesday evenings, midweek, 10pm to 11pm. Thanks for listening. Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack. Includes biotin, yeast and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.